If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, happy Friday, everyone. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Thank you for joining another episode of And Security for All. And for those of you that are out there, just want to let you know, we have two different sets of you listeners. We have um, our listeners from LinkedIn Live, and then we have our regular listeners from Voice America, um, which is a syndicated radio show. You can catch that show at any place that you like to listen to your favorite podcast. So thank you, everyone, for being here. We are super excited. Um to be back again this Friday, uh, FutureCon. As you all know, we put on cybersecurity conferences all over North America. We've had a little bit of a break. It's been nice. I think we've had like three weeks off and we are heading out to Salt Lake City next week and we are gonna ramp up the rest of 2023 and we are starting to do a big push for all of our events in 2024. It's been pretty amazing. The difference between 2022 and 2023, we are selling our events out. We have to turn attendees away. We're starting to try to find larger venue space because we've just been standing room only at our events. So we're super excited. We want to thank all of our attendees. If I know that there's some out there listening. Thanks for supporting our events and we look forward to continuing to grow our events and provide everyone out there educational content. My speaker today happened to be our keynote speaker when we were in Seattle this year. Seattle was another packed event and we were super happy to have her and we're always happy when we have a woman that is a speaker for us. I've been doing this for about 25 years and when I first started putting on these type of conferences, you would maybe see one to 2% of women in the audience. Now I would probably say 20%, not as high as we would like it. And we always love, you know, all of our attendees there, but you know, it's very important that we continue to promote and push and um, women in cyber. So I'm super happy today to have uh, uh, Eva, Bean. She's a senior security program manager from Microsoft, and she's also the co-founder of Women in Tech Global. She sits on the board of directors at ISACA, and she's an EC Council Advisory Board member also, and she's on the GIAC Advisory Board. Today, we're going to talk about women in cyber, and we're going to talk about the future of AI, two very important topics. So I'm super happy to have Eva here today. Welcome to the show, Eva. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. I was really excited. Super happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I just, yes, yes, I was out there. I got the tail end of Black Hat and I was there for DEF CON. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. Hopefully everything's fixed. So yes, yes. Uh, no, things are good. Um, I did want to start the show by just thanking you for everything that you do for the security community. I think that it's really important that we continue to kind of uh, reinforce some of the new things that are coming up that are disruptive the industry, such as, uh, right, the 
the fast adoption of AI. And also, I've always appreciated your commitment to diversity. And you did mention this um, kind of in the beginning that you always pay attention and kind of strive to have more women not only attending the conferences, but also being speakers. And so this is really important. And I just wanted to recognize you for this as um, somebody who is represented, who is speaking on behalf of all of the women in cyber. Thank you for this. So yeah, I'm excited. These are all amazing topics and just super happy to chat with you today. And uh, hopefully, you know, make a difference in somebody's Friday today. Well, why don't, you know, I'm happy you're here and you did such a great job out in Seattle. And again, it's always, it's not easy finding women speakers and I'm hoping, you know, I'm really trying to, as I go from city to city, I speak to the women at our events and I'm like, just sit on our panel. You know, you don't have to keynote, just it's very easy. And it's just trying to push women to go out there and just dip their toe in the water so they can, um, you know, maybe the next year keynote an event. But I think it's just very intimidating sometimes for women because you are standing in front of an audience that's primarily men and I can see how, and you have to fill up an hour worth of content. And um, I'm sure that's hard. But what I've been doing with a lot of women is trying to do more of like fireside chats because I feel like that makes them a little more comfortable if I can have two women together. So anything we can do to just, you know, have more diversity in our speakers. We have some of them where I'm always in awe by our speakers because for some of these large, large Fortune 100, 500 companies, they're CISO to come out and speak at our events and spend the day with us. I'm so flattered that they do that and they share their knowledge with the local communities in all these cities. So again, I thank you for that. But why don't you tell us a little bit, I'd love to hear your story and how you got to Microsoft and how you started your career. And um, just give us a little background on you. Sure, happy to. So I do come from a non-traditional background. I actually, uh, I grew up in Bulgaria. And so I didn't grow up around computers for the sole reason that they just weren't available um, where I was growing up. And also, even if they were, really the environment and where I was raised, I was raised to believe that careers in computer or IT, in computer science or IT are mostly for men. And that's how it used to be when I was growing up uh, kind of in the late 80s and 90s. So um, I came to the United States pursuing a career, um, a marketing education. And so I always thought that I'd have a career in marketing because I was always, I grew up kind of being very artsy and I always had a knack of Kind of being a very creative and so i thought that marketing really aligns with with that skill and that aspiration and then i ended up uh, in this cybersecurity event in my university at the time which was university of washington um, and I met some really interesting people and I got really inspired by the field of cybersecurity. It seemed to be very challenging and the, um, so I decided, you know what, I think I'm going to take a chance and just go kind of switch my career path and try to switch 
from marketing to information systems and from there just kind of pursue a career in cybersecurity. And it was a huge risk because quite frankly, I wasn't sure if I have what it takes uh, for the challenge. It seemed to be extremely challenging to kind of make that transition, have, not having had that background. But the challenge itself also excited me. So I decided to just kind of um, take the leap, take a chance on myself and make that transition. And to be honest, that was probably one of the best decisions that I've ever, that I've ever made. I ended up getting into big four consulting and cybersecurity, which was also an, an amazing foundation, a stepping stone that allowed me to get exposed to a wide range, a wide range of global scale cybersecurity um, kind of opportunities and domains that I could kind of build on. So I was able to earn a lot of cybersecurity certifications early on, work on a lot of impactful projects, and that built a solid foundation that later created an opportunity for me at Microsoft. And it also created a lot of other opportunities. So this is kind of long story short of my path. The reason why I want to emphasize my non-traditional background is because I didn't really, at times, didn't really believe that my non-technical background could have a valuable contribution towards my cybersecurity career, but it actually did. And so the moral of the story, what I would like other women and people in general to take away from this story is that no matter what your background is, if cybersecurity sounds interesting to you, there is always transferable skills and there are always ways in, especially now with AI. I think um, AI as a false multiplier really enables us to work more, more intelligently and it lowers the barrier for entry a little bit for many of us. So. Uh, let my story serve as kind of an inspiration for anybody listening who is considering getting into cybersecurity. You don't have to grow up um, hacking in your mom's basement to have a successful career in cybersecurity. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's just the moral of the story. And then one more thing that I want to add is that as a woman in cybersecurity, especially earlier in my career, like a decade ago, um, it can be a little bit intimidating because you have to strike that balance between, you know, fitting in um, all of the boys and make sure that you're kind of, you know, accepted, but at the same time, being true to yourself and, you know, kind of trying to be a woman. Um, I remember early in my career, I used to try to hide my feminine as femininity as much as possible to blend in. Um, so yeah, that's just, I guess, I went a little bit on a tangent here. No, but do you think that, um, I feel like we've made some leaps and bounds when it does come to women in cyber, because I really feel like the cyber cybersecurity community, I really feel like all of like our peers and friends that happen to be male are really standing behind this women in cyber and really trying to push the growth of this for their daughters and for, you know, all the future of, you know, women in cyber. I feel like we've come a long way 
with the support of all of our male peers. What, what's your opinion about that? Oh, 100%. I definitely have felt supported by, you know, anyone, regardless of their gender, through my career in cybersecurity from the early days to now. I think that it's just uh, these days is a little bit easier to be kind of to own that you're a woman because there are more women out there. So I feel like, you know, it's okay for me to wear my uh, hoop earrings, which I love, which I would never wear 10 years ago because I wouldn't feel like it would be appropriate. Um, so I think that having more women kind of enter the field and also having the support by, you know, non-women colleagues has has really been a tremendous, tremendous, um, you know, we've made leaps and bounds. But I also, I think that it's important for us to continue. There's still more work for us to do. There's still more work for us as women to continue to pave the way for other women in the field and just make it, you know, make, make it okay for us to be us and to not be, not try to hide you know, our background, but more so celebrate it. Um, so I'll give you one example, which is very silly, but, you know, we had a, we had a, um, recently a work event and I was contemplating wearing a dress. It was really hot out, but then I thought, oh, maybe this is not work appropriate. And then somebody else wore a dress and I just remember walking up to her and saying, Thank you so much for wearing a pink dress because that makes it okay for me next time to wear a pink dress because then I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like okay that would be weird. So even these little things I feel like they're just kind of like tokens of support for each other. Well there are it, it is funny there is a CISO she's out in um, the DC area and you might know her, and I, I'm not going to say her name, but she's very, she's very beautiful, and she wears, she rocks like these stilettos. And um, she was at one of our events, and as she said on the panel, I went at the end and asked all the panelists, you know, all these sponsors that are in the room, they would love to get in front of you, and we know that your phones are blown up, and you know, how, what's the best way for a sales rep to get in front of you? Well, they all went and, you know, said the same thing they always said, you know, don't cold call me, you know, the same, the same traditional answers. But she said, not one of you stopped and talked to me because you profiled me because of how I'm dressed, that yeah. I'm a CISO. And um, I, I think, you know, and she's like, shame on you, you know, but, but I love that for her that, you know, she just owns that she can still dress very feminine and be still stand her ground. So I think that's a good role model for other women. In the yeah. Industry. And I think this is important because this makes it okay for the rest of us. When, you know, when somebody does it, especially women in leadership positions, um, it just kind of opens the door for us to just kind of express who we really are. Um, I remember I used to wear, especially, I mean, I was in consulting earlier in my career. So I used to just always wear gray and just like gray pencil skirts and just everything gray or black or just dark blue. And then small earrings, which I don't like small earrings. I, it's not me, but I have to try to just be, you know, somebody else. And so it really feels good to be able to embrace who you are and be accepted who you 
who you you really are. Um, and I'm super grateful that you know the community as a whole has been making so much uh, effort to you know not not just for women but also to accept people um, as you know non-binary and just wh whoever exactly yeah. yeah just basically people that just want to express whoever they really are and i think that that's really important because when we feel authentic to our true selves is when we really do our best work so what would your advice be for some of the women out there now not every city has local women chapters of you know women like the we sees are women in cyber so it, it's our what i think you were that you're women in tech up in uh seattle which is you know obviously you guys have a ton of um tech up there but if you're in a city like me i'm in st louis i don't know if there's a women in cyber chapter here um but what would your advice be to some of the younger women out there that do want to get involved and do want to support the movement of women in cyber how would they get involved in these kind of chapters if there's not a local chapter in their city and i know you can go online and sign up but what would your advice be for them wow uh such a great question so first of all right uh, it's very important for uh, for people to leverage the community uh, not always that community can be local and that's okay. So I would say there are a couple of things. First is identify kind of a few communities that are interesting to you. They may not be local uh, and that's okay, right? Just putting out an open invitation. People can reach out to me at any point. I actually try to be very responsive on LinkedIn, uh, sometimes to my own detriment. But, um, you know, if you're unsure, reach out to somebody who's already been through kind of the, um, through the road and can kind of help navigate you. So figure out what community you want to get involved and in. try to meet some. That's number one. Number two is if you are in a smaller area where there is nothing, you know, no community what a great opportunity for you to start something. It doesn't have to be many people. Even if, you know, for example, the Women in Tech Global started by just a few of us that are working in big tech corporations decided, wow, we really need more community for Bulgarian women in tech. That's how it started because we were all from Bulgaria and we all had um, kind of, uh, you know, very interesting jobs across the different big technology organizations in the Pacific Northwest. And so we started off with this, but then we ended up growing beyond just Bulgarian women because we actually uh, received a lot of interest from the community and we wanted to be inclusive. And we wanted to be inclusive, not just to women, but also anybody who is uh, kind of interested to get into tech and need some free resources and so forth. So if there is nothing local, I would say, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be ashamed if, you know, it doesn't work out. Just do it. I am, this is my philosophy in life. Just do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, but sometimes we have to take the first step, right? If you don't have anything local, you reach out to anything that is, you know, try to get involved with something bigger that is 
you know, like not necessarily local, uh, geolocated where you are. And two, see how you can get affiliated with a certain organization, for example, and try to create something local. It could be, it doesn't have to be a registered nonprofit organization. It can just be, hey, you know, we have every Friday, we're meeting at this coffee shop, um, just a few women. Here is, put that out on LinkedIn and invite people and start meeting people. And then my second question before we transition over to talking about AI is what would your advice be to the younger girls out there that don't know what they want to do, but they feel like cybersecurity is just so like, that's way beyond, you know, like that, like I'm not intelligent enough to be into cybersecurity. You hear that a lot. That sounds really hard. You know, mm-hmm. what is, your advice to them and what are the advice to all of us that have daughters? How do we inspire them um, to get into the industry? And, you know, if they're not super techie, what um, areas would you say they should start in? Yeah. Wow. What a great question. And very near and near to my heart. I think that there's a couple of things here. One of it is we as women in cybersecurity, are accountable to lead by example and to actually carry ourselves in ways that we don't necessarily have to tell people or young women what to do, but show them, hey, this can be you. That's why a lot of times I tend to kind of put myself out there in ways that I don't feel comfortable with just to help inspire younger women to see themselves in, hey, this is somebody who didn't necessarily raise or was raised to be successful. I beat the odds and I was able to, to do it. I had the resources because I was able to create these opportunities for myself. Nobody was there to help me. It doesn't have to, you don't have to have a computer science degree to be successful in cybersecurity. There are many, many, many jobs in cybersecurity that don't require you to be technical, as well as there are many cybersecurity domains i mean there it's, it's it's such a vast field and you can you can really dabble across the the whole like kind of uh, space and figure out okay this is not for me this is for me etc um tactically what i would recommend if somebody is interested in cybersecurity just for the heck of it right not because they've tried anything, but just because it sounds sexy, I would recommend perhaps maybe try to go through a basic certification, just kind of learn the ropes, the the very basic ropes of the different security domains, right? We have security operations, we have compliance, we have policy management, we have um, um, vulnerability management, we have application security. I mean, there's so many different domains that require different skill sets and completely different, um, you know, it would be a completely different job, right? We all classified under the umbrella of cybersecurity, but it's, they, they can vary quite a bit. So I would say just go through that and see what speaks to your heart. It took me actually a while, well, not that long, but it, it did take me a little bit um, to kind of understand where my heart really is in cybersecurity because there are so many different areas And so I went early on and I actually experienced a lot of different domains. I worked in different domains that allowed me to kind of land on, okay, 
my heart is really, you know, in offensive security, but I did experience security engineering. I did experience risk management. I did experience various, um, you know, security operations opportunities. Um, I even worked, worked uh, with um, uh, governance and risk and compliance at some point. So I think that having that breadth of understanding and having kind of being exposed to these things really is the best way for you to understand what is interesting to you and what is not interesting to you. It's very difficult for you to, do, to just randomly pick something without actually being exposed to it. Um, another way that uh, another avenue could be just talk to people, uh, just, you know, try to pick your network or grow your network, see if, there are people on LinkedIn or just people in your local community that would be willing to talk to you about what their job is like. And people that have had uh, exposure to different security domains, such as myself, can also give you a lot of insight. But the best way for you is you just have to get in there and just try. So switching over to um, what you're currently doing at Microsoft, so you're the senior uh, security program manager, what, what does that entail and what does your day-to-day -day look like and how are you, um, how is AI and what your job is currently, how do those two correlate together? Yeah, great question. So my, <laughs> my job is honestly changing all the time. So this is what I like actually about it. There is no days that are alike. And my team is responsible for securing some of the, <laughs> the largest and most important kind of um, uh, flagship products of Microsoft. So we are responsible for the Edge platform, the Windows devices, and the whole gaming organization. So it's quite the breadth. And my team more specifically is responsible to offer insights that help us prioritize security investments based on um, kind of through uh, based on insights that we derive from attackers lens simple terms is um this involves things such as penetration testing red teaming um uh various types of offensive security research and so forth so i as of recently used to lead the team of pms that kind of was responsible to drive this whole portfolio and more recently, I transitioned into a role where I kind of drive and architect some of the solutions to ensure that we maximize the value of our offensive operations. And what that means in simple terms is finding creative solutions on how we can ensure that we not that we don't just use findings to fix a particular problem, but we use these findings more intelligently to identify what control gaps we can improve across the board that can actually um, allow us to use these learnings in a more scalable manner. So I know this sounds, um, it, it may sound a little bit vague, but obviously I can't give uh, too many details about um, kind of the specifics of what I do, but this is just in general terms. It's a very, very interesting domain space with 
lots of challenging problems, which is what I like and what keeps me excited. And also it requires a lot of creativity. So my previous kind of background that involved a lot of creativity is coming very, very handy. And I think that I bring kind of diversity into a space where a lot of people have different background and, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely very exciting. It allows me to work with a lot of different functional areas across the organization. So that's also really nice. So now how long have you been with Microsoft? Uh, for five years now. Okay. That's a long time. Like, especially in this industry where I feel like longevity, we just don't see the same type of a longevity as we used to see. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that to be fair, I have moved roles within Microsoft. And one thing I'm going to say is, you know, I, I just really love Microsoft and Microsoft culture. And that's the reason why I keep kind of, you know, continue to, to stay here and continue to be intrigued here. The reason why um, I love it is because, as, as you heard, I was... I was leading a team. Now I'm doing more of individual contributor role, but that still allows me to grow my career. So there is, because of all of the opportunities, there is really no need for me to kind of look for opportunities elsewhere because I can still get, I can still continue to be engaged while staying and working in the same company. And I can continue to accrue more value as I'm becoming more and more kind of as I gain more experience in uh, working with the different Microsoft groups and so forth. Uh, as far as AI, I did not address this question, but so I think everybody across the, the board, not just at Microsoft, as you know, Microsoft is heavily betting on AI. We have uh, a significant <laughs> partnership with OpenAI, as you know. Um, so everybody across the board is looking for ways to leverage AI into what we do. So I described to you what the problem is and kind of like the problem state that I'm dealing with, but most definitely AI and AI security has been a tremendous area of exploration, not just for me, but for my whole team. And we continue to kind of look at ways not only how we can leverage AI as a force, a force multiplier to make us more efficient at what we do, um, but also into AI security, right? Um, what does the adoption of AI mean for how do we approach security? So that's just a little bit of... Get away from here. <laughs> I am sorry about that. I that's okay. That's okay. I always have to put my dog down in the basement. So, <laughs> um, so what was your thought? You know, so much is happening so fast when it comes to, you know, AI and ChatGPT and everything, you know, that, that, um, that we've seen like now on everything, even on LinkedIn, even on your LinkedIn messages, it's saying, you know, do you want to use AI? I, I don't even know. I haven't even, I just started noticing that a few weeks ago which I, I haven't even tried it out, but um, what what was your thought? Because it, you know, this has only been around less than a year. Like, what do you see? You know, do you feel like it, everything's going too fast or how do we keep up? Um, 
what and you know Microsoft is so heavily you know obviously involved with it all what are your thoughts on just just all of it and the progression of it since last yeah. year yeah <laughs> yeah so I can give you there's definitely a few kind of lenses and angles that this um this can be discussed from so from on a personal front I definitely it's a little bit anxiety inducing. I am not going to lie. So AI and machine learning and large language models have been around for a while, uh, but they haven't really been largely adopted to the extent that they have uh, as of recently, right? As of last uh, late la last year. So uh, since these technologies became more broadly accessible and available, I think that their use their users have reached the community and now we have tools practically coming out every day for various uses. But um, as a security professional, I'm excited on one hand because I think that the AI in combination with automation will allow us to not only be more efficient, but also more intelligent in uh, kind of what we do. And it also lowers the bar and the barrier for entry for security professionals, right? Especially, uh, as you know, Microsoft is um, kind of piloting a new product, Security Copilot, that is that ought to really change the game in the industry that um, allows secure, kind of allows the security analysts to be more efficient um, at what they do. So, and more use cases are obviously expected to, uh, are more and more use cases of what we do at cybersecurity and more and more roles are going to continue to extend what we do as humans through the use of AI. Obviously the capabilities are there um, and it's, it, it is really groundbreaking. It is uh, a lot of people and I think Satya himself was comparing it to the tidal wave of the internet. And I have to agree, it is really groundbreaking. It's changing the game. But on the other hand, it does give me anxiety as a security professional because it's moving so rapidly that I don't think it's giving us the opportunity as security professionals to rethink uh, how do we secure AI in, you know, because we have been dealing with software for so many years and all of our security approaches deal with software, which is different, right? With software, we know how to test it very well. We know what the inputs are. We know what the outputs are. We have very, very kind of expected outcomes. And so we know very well when something isn't working well. With AI, we have a new attack um, kind of surface being introduced. And I think that the threat landscape is different. The different types of attacks are different. And I think that security professionals really, really need to ensure that we stay ahead of the game of, you know, the, LL, the large language models, threat landscape. How is that changing? How are we, um, you know, how are we empowering our teams to ensure that we can efficiently understand and respond to the new threats that come with AI? I think from from that, this so to summarize, I'm super excited. I think that there is tremendous opportunities, but there's also some anxiety around, okay, 
this is moving really fast. As security professionals, we really need to rapidly kind of uh, make sure we start understanding what we're dealing with. There's a lot more resources in terms of, um, you know, um, in terms of the different LLM specific tactics and procedures that are being used by attackers. So OWASP uh, released a top 10 LLM um, attack techniques. There is also a MITRE framework uh, atlas specifically for LLM uh, TTPs. So I think that it's important. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's bad, but I just think that we really cannot be asleep. We, it's time for all of us security professionals to just really realize that this is our new normal and we need to catch up because attackers are already using AI for various types of attacks, right? From very, very skillfully crafted uh, phishing campaigns to um, uh, evading detection mechanisms and being able to kind of dynamically change payloads and so forth. So these are these are my thoughts, my kind of initial thoughts on this. So when you were out at um, you were out at Black Hat, and then I guess you were really there for interop, interop, right? Or is that correct? Or was it DefCon? What followed right after Black Hat? So there was B sides, um, there was Black Hat, there was DefCon, and Diana Initiative. Okay, so at the same time. So, so when you were out there at DefCon, because I know DefCon is a very uh, technical, a lot of higher, you know, a lot of CISOs go out to that. Were your were there a lot of themes? Were you guys talking about were a lot of the topics uh, evolving around AI? So. I think that Black Hat is definitely more leadership oriented conference and. I only attended some of the events around Black Hat. I did not have the opportunity to attend all of the talk tracks, but I do have some colleagues who did. And definitely there was a heavy emphasis on AI from what I hear. Uh, as far as DEF CON goes, DEF CON is definitely more tactical um, conference, more geared towards, uh, you know, people who actually hands-on keyboard um, kind of uh, offensive security practitioners. There was an AI, there was definitely a lot of talks focused on AI. There was a specifically dedicated AI village, which I could never get into because the line was so long every time and I didn't want to wait two hours. But from what I hear from colleagues that actually made it, it was it was really good. And I think that the security community at large is recognizing the new kind of uh, the, the ever-evolving threat landscape with the AI in the picture. And I think that there is a lot of effort to kind of cross-educate and to understand what do we need to do to keep up with the new, um, uh, you know, with the new normal with AI kind of being in the picture. But also I think that there's a lot of things that AI still, you know, like when, when we talk about broadly adopt, broad adoption, AI is still um, like a teenager, right? We, we, it's only going to get better from here. 
And so we ought to kind of also think about some fundamental ethical um, ethical challenges that may come up with this, right? With the rise of misinformation and deep fakes and the ease of kind of um, using someone's identity. Um, and, you know, I, I think that these are some of the things that we need to fundamentally think about how to protect as security professionals. What, what, how do we draw the line of what is ethical use of AI versus where do we enter a gray area? This is, I think, a, um, a, a challenge that we are going to be faced with. And I know that um, it, it's not, we don't have a clear solution yet, but there is a lot of things like that. And then also with AI making us more efficient and helping us work more intelligently, does that mean that there will be less of us that are going to be needed to do certain jobs? So what happens, right? What happens to the rest of, of, you know, of the security professionals that might be out of jobs, right? Would that create a job crisis? I don't know. Uh, but these are all kind of things that we, we do need to think about when we are laying out the longer term future with the AI in it. Yeah, I know that has been, you know, such a big topic of conversation is, you know, whose jobs are going to be replaced, you know, who is safe, who isn't safe. And um, especially for people that are not in the industry and they they're only hearing what they hear, you know, which could be a lot of misinformation. But, you know, oh, yeah. you know, they listen to different local news stations and people always have something to say about AI and they may not really be the expert person to be speaking on it. So what would your advice be to those mm -hmm. out there that are worrying that, oh, my gosh, you know, my job next year may not have a job because um, it's not even a, a, a I think. We used to think it was going to be a physical robot, but it's not even going to be a physical robot as we've seen, you know, in the last year. So what would your advice be to those people that are worrying? Uh -huh. and, and there's and there's certain professions, you know, like analysts, you know, are analysts going to be needed anymore? You know, it's, that's just one that comes to mind right away. Yeah, I mean, I think in the near term, um, this is just, I, I want to preface this, this is just an opinion. I literally don't have a crystal ball. I don't think any of us can, can kind of predict. But my opinion is in the near term, we are fairly safe in the security space. Um, however, this is only in the near term. But you need to make sure that you keep yourself marketable by understanding how is the threat, threat, threat landscape evolving with the AI in it also understanding how AI works and also being proficient in leveraging AI to do your work more, more proficiently. I think that understanding and at a very minimum, knowing sufficient prompting, um, uh, prompt engineering techniques would be kind of a bare minimum for all of us, right? So try to keep yourself marketable by ensuring that you continue to learn, technologies continue to evolve. So us as security professionals, not only have to understand how to protect against the latest threats, but we also need to understand these underlying technologies because that allows us 
to, you know, to better be prepared and be more resilient against them. So that's one. Um, the other thing is on, right, on the longer term, it's a little bit hard to predict. I don't think that I have the authority or even the kind of the ability to foresee in the future which jobs are safe and which are not. It's hard to tell. But my gut feeling is telling me that if you keep up with AI and you know how to effectively use it, you will most likely have, you know, the ability to do a job in cybersecurity. I don't know what that would be, but we are all very much responsible to keep up with that tidal wave and understand how AI works, understand the different challenges that come with it and um, kind of, you know, the different defense strategies as well. So, yeah. Yeah, we last week we had a guest on the show and we talked about, I can't specifically remember the title, but we basically talked about if you lose your job in the cybersecurity industry, you know, what to do next and you know how to stay ahead of that. And it goes into right what you're talking about is we are evolving so fast. So it is so important to keep yourself marketable, keep mm -hmm. yourself out there, you know, make sure you're going to events like you just went to out at Vegas or something even that's more economical is going to like a future con event and staying involved in, you know, your local chapters of, you know, the like the chapters that you're involved in, if you know, ISACA or ISSA or o OWASP, all of those is just to keep yourself, you've got to stay ahead of it now. And there's so many, we hear about like such a big, you know, that there's so many jobs out there and they can't fill the jobs. So make sure that you're, if something would happen and if your job was eliminated, that you're marketable for all those jobs that we hear that are out there. Oh, absolutely, Kim. Thank you for mentioning this. I think that the best way really to stay marketable and to be involved with what's happening with the community is those being able to be plugged into the community. And like FutureCon is definitely an amazing event. I was, it was my first FutureCon earlier this year and I was amazed and I heard great feedback from everybody else who was attending. So really appreciate you actually providing that platform for the community to come together and for us to share um, what are some of the things that we need to stay on top of to remain relevant. Things are changing so rapidly. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it is a little bit anxiety inducing because <laughs> every day I wake up, I try to stay ahead with what's happening in the world of AI, what's happening in the world of security. And it's so hard to keep up. I always feel like I'm one step behind, even though I try so hard. I do try to make sure I spend at least an hour every day to keep up with the news and, and what's happening. But that is super important. Stay ahead on news. Try to be as, you know, I know social media is like a double-edged sword, but you can learn a lot from, from it, especially on Twitter and LinkedIn. So try to kind of stay connected in the community through social media, as well as attending those local events or even attending virtual events. FutureCon is definitely one. Uh, it's a great event because it allows you 
to really kind of look through a broad lens across the different cybersecurity domains. Uh, so yeah, most definitely recommend all of the all of these. And one last thing is stay connected with your local community. As I mentioned earlier, it doesn't have to be a big grande organization. It can just be, hey, I have these couple of people that I know. Let's get together for coffee. Um, you know every few weeks. And this is also really important. We have two uh, questions from our listeners and we have about six minutes left. So I want to try to address both of them because they're both good questions. Andrew Gall, he said, it's so interesting how the concerns and discussions are around AI as it it transcends in every industry, like what's happening now in the entertainment industry with the WGA and the SAG strikes. So, I mean, that, that it almost, to me, is it invalidating them striking because there is AI there that could take their place? Um, I mean, it's to be honest, this is again, I was trying not to dabble too much into this, but I think that eventually it's going to be a very, how are we going to be able to tell if I am me speaking to you? or it's an actual AI generated image of me um, with my voice, because that's, I know my voice and my image is all over the internet, for example. How are, how are we gonna be able to tell? We do need to have some sort of a mechanism because all of these, uh, you know, the entertainment industry, as well as a lot of other industries um, that rely on people's natural talent uh, are, are at, at very big risk. So, um, yeah, that's that's an ethical dilemma that I think that us as security professionals are going to also be um, very much involved in. And uh, Ron Zokowski, who is the CISO for the Lake County government out of Indiana, he's been a speaker at many of our events. Thanks for tuning in, Ron. And Andrew is actually an employee at FutureCon, so he has to listen. <laughs> so, no, so I'm glad he's Oh, so he's forced to be here. <laughs> no, but I'm always happy for all our listeners. That's just a joke. But Ron said, I know software engineering students use AI to connect their code. So we know the threat actors are going to do the same. So is Microsoft using AI to correct code to correct the flaws that threat actors take advantage of? That's a good question. Yes. So I think that um, a couple of things, right? I can't speak to any kind of product announcements or anything like that, because this is not what directly I'm working on, but I can just speak, uh, speak generally about what we're doing about this as security community. I think that the co-pilots, right? The, uh, the co-pilots that we use to correct code, such as the, the GitHub co-pilot, they're trained on billions and billions of lines of code and a lot of that code has been vulnerable code. So there's been recent publications around how we need to be very diligent of using these co-pilots because they may introduce vulnerable code. But I think that this is exactly where the industry is moving right now. And um, we are trying to ensure that the next version of Copilot is actually not just helping you write code, but also helping you write more secure code. And I think this is where um, AI really 
stands to make a huge difference because you can't shift any more left when it comes to applications. Well, you can, right, uh, with the design phase. But when we start hitting keys on, um, um, on keyboard, the developing the code is where we get the most, the cheaper vulnerability kind of prevention. And so this is where AI really is going to be extremely valuable helping as the code is being developed, helping developers make more secure decisions using more secure libraries, ensuring that they are, um, um, you know, they are not pushing code that is vulnerable in the first place. It's going to be a huge difference. But as I mentioned earlier, right, uh, we, AI as a whole is still a teenager. We are only getting better and better from here. So um, I think that from that perspective, um, AI will continue to get better and better and will continue to help developers write more secure code. That is the goal. Well, I cannot believe that this time has flown. Um, it always does. We're about to wrap up here. They're going to give us a hard stop. So Eva, Ben, do I? am I saying that right? You said it right. It's Eva Ben. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Eva Ben, who's the senior security program manager at Microsoft, she keynoted our event this year in Seattle and packed the house. Thank you so much, Eva, for being here again. We enjoyed having you. We'll have to have you on the show again because that time went so fast. Thank you, everyone, for joining another episode of Ant Security for All. Next week, I have Steve Winterfield. He's the CISO over at Acme. I'm going to be actually out in Salt Lake City, and he is going to be uh, guest hosting our show, and he is going to be uh, talking about ransomware. He always does such, such a great job when I'm out. So be sure you turn tune in next week and support him, and I hope you all have a great weekend, and stay safe and secure, and and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hagem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hagem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risks in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast 
started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.